content warning. The following podcast contains material that involves self-harm, mental illness, eating disorders, profanity, and other graphic contents. to be here that's for sure you know what that part is true (laughs) hi welcome back to another week of recording this week we will be focusing on destigmatizing mental health which we discussed of course a little bit in the introduction but that was more just our personal stories and why we felt it was important in this episode i'm going to be diving in a little bit more deeply to why it's important in a school setting and in social settings just as society in general All right. So one of the most common misconceptions surrounding mental health that most people who struggle with any kind of mental illness experience is that people believe it's something the person suffering from the mental illness is in control of, which, for example, people often believe that, like, holding a negative mindset is what forms mental illnesses like depression. So if you just try hard enough, you know, think positively, as so many people are told, you can just shake it off and, you know be okay, which can be so damaging to the people who are struggling from it. I don't know if you guys have experienced that like on your own, but it can be so unnerving to be told to just, you know, think positively. That always baffles me. Just in a super dark state and someone's like, you know, if you just think happy thoughts and I'm like, my brain doesn't do that, okay? (laughs) That reminds me of my mom is super hardcore and like there was one time I literally broke my arm, and my mom's like, <laughs> but she, she does this with everything. Like, you'll get a, a scratch or a scrape or something with your kids, and she'll be like, oh, just stand up, dust it off, you'll be fine. And it's yeah. like, this is, like, not a situation where someone can just tell you you'll be fine. Like, people need real help in situations. And that's such a thing. Like, that's, I mean, I go into it further later on, but, like, it's the same thing with mental and physical illness. Like, yeah. it is just as impactful to your day-to-day life. Like you said, you wouldn't just tell someone who has, like, a bone sticking out of their body to be like, just shake it off. You'll just be okay. Off. Like, You're right. just, just go outside, get some fresh air. You'll be okay. Deep breaths. <laughs> Deep breaths. Deep breaths. vegetables. Would that be good for you? You know, journaling really saved my life. I do love journaling, but dear God, does it not fix everything? God, and see, you know what? I am a strong proponent of, you know, journaling, fresh air, exercise, all great things. But, like, that's not going to balance my serotonin, Karen. Like, sometimes you just got to actually have help for it. Being told not to overthink when you're anxious is also really funny because just the irony of, like, having anxiety you're sitting there, like, spiraling, just completely spiraling. And my parents have gotten good about noticing when they're like, oh, she's, she's fallen. She's falling way down a hole. But before they were, like, more open with mental illness, like, my stepmom would be like, just stop overthinking. I'm like, oh, I just stopped. Stop. I pressed the button. <laughs> oh, my God. That was it. That was the trick. The flip switched, and I'm done. I'm perfectly good again, you know? 
See, okay, that's another thing that's so important, which I think a lot of people, now that we've had more open discussion, I mean, we all kind of know our own symptoms and how they manifest, but for people who are just, like, either coming into their mental illness or maybe don't have a support system where they can talk about it, there is there are very few resources and places to talk about what actually are symptoms, because people with, let's say, anxiety, like, people characterize it as just being, like, overthinking, feeling anxious, like being too nervous to ask for something at a restaurant, like, you know, just like, or people, okay, going to go on a side tangent, actually. The language surrounding mental illness can be so damaging because even though normalizing it is what we want, that is our goal with this, normalizing it in the way where it's used in inappropriate settings, like people saying, oh, I'm so depressed, oh, I'm so anxious, yeah. mm-hmm. about that can be so damaging to the people who are trying to get recognition for what they're actually struggling with. Like, okay, so, gosh, I have so many notes about, like, the actual symptoms, which even for someone, like, I suffer with anxiety and depression, reading a list and just seeing it out there in front of me, I was like, holy crap, I didn't realize just how much, like, just for anxiety on its own. Um, Excessive worrying, difficulty sleeping and restlessness, fatigue and exhaustion, difficulty focusing, increased heart rate and palpitation, sweating and hot flashes, trembling and shaking, chest pains, shortness of breath, more sweating, shaking and trembling, feeling, let's see, sensations of choking, nausea, dizziness, numbness or tingling, feeling detached from yourself or from reality, notice depersonalization or derealization, or the fear of going crazy or actually dying. Like, so, <laughs> people can say that it's just something you need to, like, take a deep breath, calm down. It's like, my body is physically reacting to this stress in a way that I cannot handle. What's hilarious is listening to you list those and me just, like, checking check, off. And the fact that it fully sounded like one of those commercials where you're like promoting a medication and you're like side, side effects, effects. Don't include side effects, diarrhea, <laughs> um, heart palpitation, uh, stroke, um, excessive sweating. <laughs> There's always like a handful in there where you're like, holy shit! Like, this is what I have already. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah. Is your UTI that bad that you're going to possibly shit your pants and die at once? Like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not taking it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And see, that's why it's so important because, like, the fact that so many of these things, like, people, if you just have a few of them and you don't know what the hell is wrong with you. They're scary. They're scary as hell. Like, mm. I remember the first time I had a panic attack. I genuinely thought I was going to die. And okay. the fact that that wasn't, like, commonly discussed, I mean, even though my family is open and totally yeah. okay with that discussion, like, if you don't know, if you haven't been through that, it can be the scariest feeling. And with depression, of course, it doesn't necessarily come on in such a sudden wave. It can just be, like, a more grounding, like, it's just an all-encompassing feeling of, like, well, anxiety, apathy, general discontentment guilt, hopelessness, loss of interest in things that usually cause pleasure, uh, mood swings, excessive crying, irritability, social isolation. Sorry. I just feel like I'm reading my manifesto here. Um, <laughs> excessive sleepiness, insomnia, excessive hunger, or loss of appetite. Like, it can hit every spectrum of it. And they're all just they overlap so much with anxiety and depression. Like it can go so far in both ways, but like 
it's so it's just so crazy to me that with all of that out there, like that was a quick Google search to get those two lists, that people still try to characterize this as just something that's in your head that you can get rid of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like the spectrum with, is super broad and yeah, it's having really a little or a lot. It's a spectrum, like, and that's why a lot of people do get misdiagnosed at first. You'll get misdiagnosed as either one or the other, or you'll get diagnosed as bipolar or uh, OCD, things like that. And then later it'll come out that, say, you have borderline personality disorder or you have something else. I have a friend that recently just her she went to someone new, and they were like, I don't think you have generalized anxiety. I think you actually have OCD. And a lot of the symptoms you're facing are forms of OCD that overlap with anxiety symptoms. And your OCD is causing you the feeling of anxiety, but not the disorder. You do not have that. So they moved her medications, and she has been feeling amazing since they switched her. And she's like, my anxiety nets didn't do anything but make me kind of feel blah. She's like, now that I'm on this, I feel really good. So it's like, it's hard because there's so many overlapping, like, symptoms and side effects and just all the different things that come with it that then it does get really tricky and figuring this kind of stuff out is important like when you don't know I remember thinking back about my first anxiety attack thinking back I actually laughed I'm like I was a dramatic ass bitch but now I'm used to it so for me I'm like oh it'll pass like I'm suffering in the moment but at least I know it's going to go away. I just remember, like, laying on the floor in my bedroom, like a fucking movie scene. Like, literally, it, internally, I was like, I'm dead. It's, it's, I'm done. Like, life is over at this point. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, nobody touch me. Everybody leave. And I'm just going to lay here for a bit. I'm not going to be able to breathe. And then I'll come back when my body says it's okay. <laughs> no, yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> and so, okay, I think one of the biggest things, why, okay, I will get to why in the all-encompassing reasons it's important to destigmatize the discussion. But one of the most damaging things that society can do when it comes to mental illness is this whole think positively mentality and that it really is all in your head purely because that places the blame on the victim who's suffering the most. Mm-hmm. Like by saying that you are in control of the situation or that you mm-hmm. should be able to switch out of it, in some ways it could sound empowering. And in many times people mean it to be that way where they're like, you know, like you can take control of it. You are the creator of your future. Like, you know, all that positive shit. It's like, <laughs> yes, that could be empowering if you were in a position where you felt like you were capable of creating. But most of the times it just kind of continues the downward spiral of feeling more negative about themselves because they can't shift out of the negative feeling, which just continues to perpetuate the cycle of suffering. And if there's no one there to pull them out of that, that is when things can get particularly dangerous because you start feeling guilty for feeling bad, which I think is one of the most, I mean, I feel that frequently, just the feeling of like, I feel guilty for not being able to show up, not being able to be the person I want to be in my day-to-day life purely because my body will not let me. (laughs) It's like, sometimes it's so hard to acknowledge that, especially if you're like, you want to be a positive person. You want to be the person who's consistent, knowing that you want to be, but you can't be. It can be so discouraging. And that actually kind of ties into um, like what we briefly discussed um, in last episode when we were talking about self-harm and how that can manifest as 
I mean, like we said, in some ways, a form of reaching out for help, of a cry for help. But in some ways, it's just manifesting the complicated feelings of sadness and anger and everything else in a physical way so that it makes sense, so it's tangible. Being able to direct them physically. Exactly. Um, One thing I thought of is, like, when we were in health class in middle school and high school, like, we hear about all of these like sexually transmitted diseases right and like these terrible pictures and like this is the worst thing that could happen to you like don't have unprotected sex you'll die like but (laughs) never i'm like thinking back on it never was i ever taught like hey if you have a panic attack here's some ways to go about it exactly right i feel like i mean yes there is of course you know high schoolers are just horny bitches who do a whole lot of stupid stuff and make poor choices yes it's important to know about what STDs are, how to not get pregnant, like all that good stuff. But I feel like it would be so much more beneficial to have that kind of education. Like, a, hey, hormones are changing. You've got so many demands on your plate that have, are new, that are confusing. Everything else is going to be more challenging than it has been for you. And here are some things to expect. If you start feeling like this, this might help. Like, mm-hmm. I know a lot of kids at school, too, that had, uh, like, they went to therapy for anger management. And, like, they don't teach you how to handle that kind of thing, where it's, like, if you just get angry, you're usually yelled at and disciplined, and it's, Mm -hmm. like, shoved in a box to, like, you need to knock it off. Well, that's not going to make anyone feel better. If you were angry at work because of something that happened, or in real life, or with a friend, say you're frustrated... They told you to go sit down and shove those feelings in a box and shut your mouth. You definitely wouldn't respond right. Just like going back to your thing, like if Jess, Jess, if you broke your arm and I told you to just unbreak it, <laughs> just uh, your your freaking arm is flailing, and I'm like, no, no, just just put it back together. Just put it back just together. Fix it. Just, just fix do it. it. Just be okay. Put it back. Like, it's the same concept. You have to be able to, like, know those things and recognize them. And they, that was in percent should be taught. Exactly. And, okay, this was actually, if Wendy, if you're listening to this, shout out to Wendy. Um, <laughs> in the book that I've been reading for my 320B course um, called How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman, this was a quote that I was reading that just stood out to me that I felt like was so important that just clearly addresses exactly why it's important to discuss mental illness and mental health and why we need to destigmatize the conversation in earlier years, especially in high school. So the author states that to many scientists and physicians, depression remains a disease of the mind. It's classified as a disorder of effect that often is blamed on negative thinking. You're too hard on yourself. You have too many self-defeating catastrophic thoughts. Or perhaps traumatic events trigger depression, partially if your genes make you vulnerable. All these explanations assume that thinking controls the feeling. And the World Health Organization predicts that by 2030, depression will cause more premature deaths and years of disability than cancer, stroke, heart disease, war, or accidents. Those are pretty dreadful outcomes for a mental illness. And I feel like that just so perfectly encapsulates the idea that, like, yes, it may be a disease that begins in the brain, that begins with chemical imbalances, that begins with trauma. 
but it can manifest so extremely physically that most of the people who struggle will have years and years of disability from it. <laughs> it is a disability. Or they will go the route of wanting to stop living that life where they feel that way. And, yeah. I have, like, two notes on that that are completely separate. <laughs> One, shout out, after, like, my dad works in the music industry, um, but he works side by side a lot of tech companies. Um, just quick random shout out to a lot of the tech fields actually have mental health days. That you can cool. take. So there are specific fields where it's completely normalized to be like, I need to check out for a bit. Like I just need to take some mental health time. So one that needs to be that should be implemented across shout the board. Shout out to Kevin. Shout out to yes. Kevin. Straight Kevin up. is the man for that. The whole reason we're even doing this project, obviously, is for Kevin, and he is the most understanding professor that I've ever experienced when it comes to this. Seriously, I'm going to really quickly interject and say, yeah, Kevin, uh, the first day, I think Jesse may have been in my group when we were reading the syllabus, and all of us were looking at it and simultaneously saw that you could take mental health days. No doctor's note required. It was like this groundbreaking like holy shit why don't other teachers mm-hmm. think to do this because it's like i mean okay yes under normal normal circumstances that would be incredible like that should be implemented but i mean like yeah right now we're in a global pandemic during like civil unrest and <laughs> like a whole lot of uh outside circumstances to control maybe a little bit more of our lives than normal but just like in general just god bless any teacher who acknowledges that Students are humans, and we are struggling. And, I mean, okay, another thing, when it comes to mental illness in the classroom, so frequently, especially in high school, students are targeted as, like, they're labeled the trouble student or, like, the trouble child in the classroom Mm -hmm. as if they have mental illnesses, specifically because we've probably seen, like, less engaged in the discussions, don't do the homework on time. and They can't sit in their seat, even in elementary school. That's, like, such a... That's the bad kid. Yeah. Nothing's wrong I, with him, actually. Like, you can't expect a child to sit in a seat for, like, eight hours and not still, go crazy a little bit. I remember in high school, I was a TA, and I was grading these assignments for my teacher one time. And the person, I don't remember, it was a short assignment. It wasn't anything long. But the person at the bottom just wrote, I'm sorry, I cannot do this assignment right now. I'm focusing on trying to stay alive. And I was like... That on its own just hit so hard when I showed the teacher. We were just like, that's like a 13-year-old, like a 13, 14-year-old mm-hmm. who's saying that to their teacher because clearly they don't have another outlet of people who are listening. And, again, I feel like that's just why it's so important to have that kind of resource in a high school setting where you won't feel judged for saying it. Like, that's the big thing. A lot of people are worried, like, Haley, you were saying initially with your program, that people are afraid to say how much they're struggling because they were worried about the repercussions of it. But having a safe environment where you can share that would honestly save so many lives. (laughs) It really would. It's, It's so valuable. Like, when you're feeling just at your lowest of low, being able to just be like, Hey, I need to go. In my case, it was, Hey, I need to go to jobbing. And they write you a note and they let you go. No teacher ever argued with that because they knew if you're going, there was something going on. Mm. Like, there were some teachers that were like, Oh, you're just trying to go hang out with friends. You point blank look them in the face and you're like, No, I'm struggling. They're like, Oh, 
go, please go, because they know that you're probably not going to want to talk to them. Uh, yeah, and they're I know. probably not qualified for that discussion. <laughs> yeah, they're like, nope, this is not my forte. I am here for PE. Please go. Uh, but when, like, you were talking about the statistics, I think it's funny because a lot of older generations make comments about the fact that, uh, like, oh, everyone says that they have it now. Oh, nobody had this when we were younger. But the status yes. is, one, it was completely around. It just wasn't as diagnosed. But then, two, yes, the numbers are rising. And there's a lot of factors that play into that. And people need to realize that, like, obviously we're doing something that's causing detriment to some degree in many ways. Like, one, we... I think touched on it maybe last time. I know it's talked about a lot right now is the like culture around just like pushing through and working and like this focus on just being a machine and being going to work, doing what you're supposed to do, going home, going to bed. Like you're supposed to be this perfect little like worker bee. The stigma of America. Yeah, we're not. And that's not how people are built. And especially kids right now with social media adding to it. Let's be real. I mean, we're children of social media, it's detrimental. Like, it is not the best thing for your mental health. Oh, absolutely. Um, Just so many things. And I'm like, we need to realize that, yeah, there's a problem. The numbers are growing. Suicide rates are growing. All of that, especially with COVID right now, people are as vulnerable as they will be in, like, many ways right now in COVID. And, like, I can confidently say... Sarah knows this. I know I mentioned it. My mental health during COVID was probably the worst it's been since I was in high school. Oh, yeah. I have been able to get semi-wraps on it, you know, things like that. But there are days where you're just, like, sitting there and you're just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. You know, I could just not turn the wheel right now in my car. Like, you know, just go straight off the off-ramp. And then you're like, ugh. The number of times that thought comes in while driving, just like that. There's a train ahead. That's you're like, so true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's, like, that's like, yeah. This is that too. That right there, just the bad right. thing that our minds go to that. Like, it's a bad thing that our minds go to that. But the fact that you just said it, and everyone in this room is like, yeah, I've done yeah. that. That is why it's so important to have these yes. discussions because that alone, just letting someone know that they're not alone in what they're experiencing can help them feel so much more at ease with it because knowing that you are not the only person who is struggling with that thought, that feeling, whatever, it creates a community, even if it's just like the solidarity of the struggle, like that on its own can be so empowering. Makes you yeah. feel a little less crazy sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh God, right thing. But like, like, there is something wrong with me. I almost just drove off this off ramp. And you're yeah. like, no, it's like a thing. And like, I think it's funny because I've joked around about uh, like around other people. And I've noticed some older people are like, what? And they like, you're all scared. And you're like, oh, shit, what's that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, I don't want to kill myself. Necessarily. Necessarily. But, <laughs> but it's this thing that passes through my brain sometimes. It's like intrusive yeah. thoughts of like, hmm, but you could. And it but is an option. And that shouldn't be an option, if we're being honest. Like, I don't yeah. think it should be considered an option and how. Um, but it just shows you kind of where your mind's at. And it, that's, that says something. And if you notice, like, I'll notice myself thinking it more frequently at times. And I'm like, whoa. I was a few more times than I'm comfortable with. That kind of gives me a sense of, like, this is kind of where I'm at. And yeah. See, 
after getting it, I felt so good because I was like, look at that. Like, that is part of me. This is part of me. And I think I could have achieved that feeling, minus the tattoo, obviously, a lot sooner. Like, I really could have. And it's sad now because now I'm in a place where I'm like, things are wild in the world. So I look at it, and it actually, honestly, I want to cover it up at this point, um, just or make it look nicer, I should say. I want to touch it up. I want to make it look prettier, not as just, like, plain simple. Um, but it does make me sad because I'm like, dang, like, I can't wait to be back at that feeling. Yeah. And so even though I'm exhausted, I'm not there yet, it is something to look up to. And when you get that, that feeling, it's something to fight for. And I think a lot of people need to reach that feeling, even if it's for a freaking week, to have something to know that, like, there is going to be a feeling of, like, acceptance with yourself and mm-hmm. with society and those around you and, like, knowing that, like, you know, there's going to come another time and I'm going to strive for that time where I feel just accepted in myself. Yeah. So I think just destigmatizing everything really just – pulls that feeling closer to the surface, one step closer. It makes it so much more attainable, and it makes people so much more willing to help you get there, even. Just, like, help be part of the process without even trying. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can say for myself um, that I mentioned in the last episode, like, I didn't feel like I really struggled with mental illness throughout my life, but... Like, one thing that you just brought to my mind, actually, Kaylee, when you were saying you would draw these flowers all the time, is, like, when I was a kid, I had this weird thing, even, and it's come up throughout my life, actually, but, like, I would, I guess it's not that weird, everything's, <laughs> everything's weird, but, um, like, I couldn't, I would, like, while I was walking on the sidewalk, I would count between squares of the, like, cement, and, like, if I stepped on a line, I would, like, have to go back and, like, these, like, these weird mannerisms, but then if I really think about it, like, it was usually a time when something wasn't right, like, within myself, and that was just the way where I felt like I could control what was happening around me. Yeah, absolutely. Those little control pieces are super big. I get weird with, like, the smallest things. It would be, like, the order in which I wash my body in the shower. Oh, yeah. I, it's, like, down to that kind of details where it's, like, mm-hmm. I need something that's going to make me, I know I'm going to be good. And it's some control that's not even actually going to affect anything in the long run. But in that moment is going to make me feel like I know I'm okay. Like, when I feel gross and I shower and I wash my body, I wash my stomach first and my chest. Because my stomach is where I hold my anxiety. So I wash it. And it's not physically, like, washing away the problems but mentally that's kind of what i think about it's like cleansing everything you have to like take those moments and be like well at least i know now like now you know if you're Mm -hmm. walking down the street you're having a hard day just yeah i I can think about it and be like wait what's going on actually because this isn't like skipping lines on the sidewalk isn't going to fix whatever's happening in my head yeah yeah it's just actually like taking me away from it for the moment Yeah, and see, that's the thing, too. I feel like one part of that kind of healing, like when you're developing those little little control habits that help you feel more comfortable in yourself, there's the other side of the coin when you're trying to heal. Like once you've acknowledged the thing that you've been struggling with, 
is how hard it is sometimes to want to heal because the feelings of discomfort, no matter how bad they are, no matter how bad the deepest, darkest part of your depression was, it's comfortable because you know it, like you, it's familiar to you because you've lived in it for so long. So letting go of those struggles can be as hard as having them. (laughs) And like, I feel like that also just ties into kind of the self guilt and self stigma surrounding mental health, because at times you kind of don't even want to be better necessarily. So the process of getting better can be so much harder. Yeah. It feels like part of you is not there. Yeah. It's like, but this is kind of, it kind of rules who I am sometimes. Like, and then even breaking those little habits on purpose. Being like, I'm going to be okay and I need to do this. That gets really difficult for me. That's why I have a really hard time. It's like, I will be like, no, you, you need to do this at this point. It's going to feel awful and there's not even like even a good reason why it should feel awful and it's gonna scare the hell out of you but if you do this out of order if you don't do the thing that you're comfortable with you're gonna be okay and that needs to be recognized Mm -hmm. i've been doing that all with food which that is terrifying i will put that out there i would rather wash my body from feet to head (laughs) every day than deal with trying to eat beer foods right now um yeah even like small things like something that i ate once that for some reason made me feel a little bit weird and now I'm like okay I have to like sit down and really talk myself into eating this and like okay I need to actually tell myself like you're not going to vomit the moment it comes into your mouth like or you're not going to feel sick later or it's not going to hurt your body you're not going to blow up or drink or whatever like yeah really healing is is a difficult struggle of a process and, like, it's, it's I, worth it, like, trying to fight for better mental health. But I think you're right. It's that personal destigmatization of, like, you know, keep, keep trying. Keep trying because it is going, you're not going to take away who you are, and it's going to be okay. Uh, I've gotten super complacent with a lot of my stuff lately. So, actually, this is my wake-up call. <laughs> Unintentional wake-up call of, like, shit. Yeah, back here yeah. Because I have gotten way too complacent. Because I've just told myself that, like, this is who I am and it's fine. And I'm like, no, no, no. Keep fighting. Yeah. Um, keep working. It's mainly, again, eating stuff right now where I'm like, I'm fine. I'm eating as much as I need to. Which I have. But it's more of, like, keep pushing yourself to do what you need to. Yeah. You know, keep trying new foods. Keep being comfortable doing that. So, I'm like, ugh. Thank you, Sarah. Calling <laughs> <laughs> me out here. Oh God, I mean, I'm, I'm calling myself out too. I really am, because, and that's the thing too. Like, I feel like it's one of the most like repeated things that everyone knows, but every time I hear it, it's still just like, yeah, healing is never linear, mm-hmm. and oh. no matter how often I say that, even to myself. The moment I slip back even a little bit, like yesterday, I was, I just woke up feeling generalized depression, like not about anything in particular. Nothing was like wrong and there wasn't anything that could necessarily fix it. I was just kind of like, just like a blah day. Like it was whatever. But in those days when things are bad, it it doesn't cancel out all of the good days, even though it feels like it does. It feels like you're starting at square one. Guilt. Yeah, and just like, and you feel so bad, like for the people around you. Like right now, it's my family. Like whatever. It's like I want to be able to show up. I want to be able to be like 
happy peppy, go do all the things that I want to do, hang out with my family. Like, and then I'm just like, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to lay in my bed and I'm going to reread comfort books and comfort characters and all those things for the next 24 hours. And then I'll see you, see how things go. Mm. (laughs) But like, just reminding yourself that every step you're taking is still a step in the right direction. Like it doesn't matter if you fall back, you will, it's going to happen. You're going to have bad days, but those bad days aren't all of the days. And I feel like that's, what's hard to remember when you're in those bad places. Yeah. I could say, um, I think, I guess it was like September or October. I had like, I don't know, seeing like terminology, you guys can help me out here, maybe like, uh, like a very distinct, like depressive episode, maybe. Yeah. That, that's, that's the yep. word. Um, like, yeah, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, and I like, went through, awesome. went through big breakup, like friend passed away and like, it was just like, my whole life was like 180 flip. And I was like, I moved into a new place and I literally was like, no, I had four girl roommates that go to SSU and like I had become friends with all of them already. But then, and there was this week and I'm a very like go getter person. Like let's always do something. And I'm always really cheerful and happy. So that's why when people see me in a like bleh mood, it's like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong? What's wrong? And it's like, yeah. sometimes there's something wrong. Sometimes there's nothing wrong. But those two weeks, it was like the first week I literally talked to no one and I just stayed in my room and I, didn't I couldn't even like literally get out of bed and I was like this is not it's just not gonna happen and then I finally was like okay I know what's happening here but I also don't want to fix it like and I called my dad and I'm like yo I don't know what to do because I should like call a therapist but I don't want to call a therapist because they're gonna help me fix it and I don't want to fix it I just don't want to get out of bed I don't want to lift the covers from over my head like I don't want to do it I want to sit in this and I can't even explain why. And it's yeah. like finding the power to get out of that and finding the power to like just stand up, take a shower, like go outside. Yeah. It's difficult. And oh, like me bringing back to like, it's so crazy how people are just like, depression's not real. Like you yeah. can feel so down and have either a reason or no reason at all. And it's, so hard sometimes to find the strength to get up and want to make a change so so much yeah especially if you don't if especially when you're in a place i feel like more alone like yeah you have it and it's all on you you're you don't have someone obviously there which sometimes is amazing to just be able to do it on your own and live with that in your own space but for me personally i'm someone where a lot of the times I'm going to end up needing someone to come in and be like, we're going to get up. We're going to go do something. We're going to go do what you got to do because it will hit midnight and I will have not eaten mm-hmm. and I will be not moving and I will be in my clothes, in my bed. Nothing will have moved. I will not have any water that day. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, let's, let's do this more for, for health reasons. Let's get you up. Let's get you eaten. Let's do what we got to do. But it is, it's really hard when you're in those times to break out, but it's also really hard to have, uh, to let others see you. Like you said, yeah. like yeah. to be around others, to have like, I know my boyfriend, I will apologize for three hours straight because if I'm like having a hard time and I can't snap out of it and I'm struggling and I'm like continually just apologizing because I feel like I don't, I don't know what's going on. 
and it scares me because I don't like other people seeing that. Um, he's the first person in years that has seen me during an anxiety attack. Didn't know what to do because he doesn't know how I prefer to handle it. Yeah. We talked about it later, which that is important. Always talk to your people about mm-hmm. how you handle things or how you like to yeah. communicate. It's such have a key. to make the people around you aware so that they can do what's best for you as well. Yeah, but it was he you could tell he was scared because he didn't know what I needed. Yeah, and I couldn't mm-hmm. talk. I couldn't do. I couldn't do no. anything. Um, and eventually he just kind of looked at me and was like, "Do I need to go?" And I just, like, very, as much as I could, nodded. And he just left, and I dealt with it how I deal with it. Yeah. But it's those times, I feel like, while, yes, there's time where you're going to get out of it, they're kind of so needed sometimes. And I feel like we don't understand as a society enough that people need that. Yeah. People are going to need days just fucking lay in their bed and do nothing and just not function, not be there, not be present. I had a friend who called me mom. He was a few years younger than me. I was, he called, he said I was like his mentor. I took care of him. He had a very abusive family. Um, So in high school, I was the one that looked out for him. I made sure he had food and he was doing okay. And I checked in on him and made sure he didn't have any new bruises or cuts or anything from his dad and his brother. And I'm the one that would talk him through when he didn't want to be on his ADHD meds because they made him feel numb and would try to handle that with him. Uh, my first semester in college, uh, we didn't talk for a, like a month and a half because I was gone and busy and trying to do that. Um, I reached out, and the next time that I heard it was he had attempted suicide. Um, and I was beyond heartbroken. Just felt like I had let this person down. It was the one time where I wasn't there. And he told me, he's like, I didn't want to tell you where I was at because I didn't want to disappoint you. And I got in my bed. I was uncontrollably sobbing, but I got in my bed. I laid in my bed. I laid there until I eventually called my mom. Um, I told my mom that I wanted to drop out of school. Um, it was my first semester freshman year. I called her sobbing and was like, I'm dropping out of school. Um, I can't do it. And she was like, what is going on? Um, and I just told her and she was actually a lot more understanding than I expected to have. <laughs> I expected her to yell at me and be like, shut up. And she was like, okay, let's take some time to you know, think it through, just lay there, do what you need to do, um, and try to recover. So that's what I did, and obviously didn't drop out because here I am. Um, and it, was, it was one of those times where I needed to just be in it for a bit, and I honestly am glad that I had someone just be like, okay, sure, take your time. Um, because that's really what I needed. It was such, like, a shock to my whole system. Yeah. Um, but we don't accept that enough. We don't accept people taking that time. And we don't accept, like, it's not normal to just be able to be like, hey, I'm going to go lay in bed for the whole day. It's like, oh, but, like, you have things to do. Oh, mm-hmm. but, like, we need you to do this, or you have to do that, or what about A, B, and C? Yeah. Uh, 
taking time for yourself can mean more than just face masks and movies and whatever. It can literally just mean laying there and just being in it, doing what you got to do. And I mean, like what you said, that you were grateful to just have someone there who was like, yeah, you do that. That was one thing that, I mean, when I was doing the research for this, when I was looking at all of the resources and things you could do to help people, you know, all that. The biggest thing is having a support system, but not just a support system who is like physically there, who you know is there, but a support system who knows how to help you in particular. Because mm-hmm. the thing that, again, is not talked about enough when it comes to mental illness is that when you're in the worst places of it, when you're having a panic attack, when you're in your lowest peak of depression, lowest peak, that's not a word, lowest, <laughs> whatever, your lowest <laughs> point of depression, you, at least I know for a lot of people, including myself, you can't reach out to people. Like you, your brain will convince you that you absolutely can't, or it's just literally too much exertion, like the, the emotional toll that will take on you reaching out just texting someone is too much yeah. so that was actually something at the beginning or a few months into the pandemic my friends and I all talked because we all struggle we all have anxiety depression all of the things but we have different manifestations of it so we all talked we sat each other down and I was just like okay what can actually help you the most when you're at your lowest. Like, what are the signs? How do we know when you're getting there? And what can we do to help you? Mm -hmm. So for like one of my friends, she just wanted to be left alone completely. She's like, I I do it best when I'm by myself and I'll be okay. Another one was like, I like being checked in on, even though like, even if I can't respond, I like knowing that people are there for me. Some people is like, uh, they liked having physical help, like having someone who can show up, bring them food, like maybe help them clean because they can't do that for themselves. Like just knowing that those things are there. And again, I feel like this is something that could be taught like sex ed, but <laughs> like for mm-hmm. high school, just being like, this is what you might feel. Here are some things that could help. Talk to your people because that kind of emotional honesty at that age, I feel like in high school just isn't there. I feel like people, on average at least, don't tend to talk about those deeper issues to that extent. Yeah, no. That and then that like kind of correlates though with like the languages of love that people have. Yeah. Everyone has different languages of love. You have to know how to like the same way that you're like, oh, this person appreciates this. Like you know your friends that don't want to be touched that are like, uh uh-uh, uh, back the bar off. And then you know the ones where like the moment you're there they wanna cuddle with you. Like, exactly. You know those things about people. You know like the ones that'll say care more for a gift rather than words of affirmation. Like I am a massive words of affirmation person. If you don't tell me I'm doing it right or doing well, <laughs> I'm doing it horrible and I'm an awful person. Okay. I exactly. Like a kid, my parents used to always be like Literally, you would come to us and be like, how did, how did I do? But like, how did, like, tell me more. Like, and they'd be like, oh, you did all right. And you're like, no, but like, actually. Like, oh, right. like I, I need reassurance in the way that I did. And even if that is constructive criticism, I like constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me how I'm doing. I want to know because if I don't, I get anxious and I feel like I'm in the dark. So that's why I'm the first person when I'm in a mess, I text all my friends and I'm like, I love all of you and I appreciate all of you because to me, I like doing that to others too. That's yeah. how I show love a lot. If I'm very verbal, I write it down. I'm very like, your gifts. Let me, let me spew my love for you and my appreciation because I want you to know because I don't want you to forget. 
You're like, oh god, <laughs> Kaylee's going through it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling like, oh god, oh god, what's wrong? No, I do it for others too when like I know that they're struggling because I'm like, I want them to be reassured in that. But when I'm struggling too, even if I do reach out in a not like, hey, I'm fucking going through it, like yeah. I will reach out and be just like. I just want someone there. I want to know that, like, the people that I care about, especially because I've had, me and Sarah both have very similar experiences with bad friends. Mm-hmm. And I've had bad friends that, like, could have, I point blank told them I wasn't doing well, and they're all, cool, ignore you for the rest of the day. Yep. And it wasn't like a, let me leave you to your space kind of ignore you. It was like, we don't want to deal with your shit, ignore you. So I, it's made me probably more of a verbal person because now I'm like, I want to be on the same page. So. I feel like that's important to know, like, just like you would know for the people you care about their love language, you should know how they handle stuff. I, for one, I know Sarah likes to go MIA for many, many, many days on it, (laughs) and I just, she's all, you can send me messages, don't. So I still spam her with shit, because I'm like, she'll see what she's done, and she'll appreciate it. Like, she's absolute. But then there are people like me, where I'm like, no, 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 Um, if I'm left alone for too long, I probably will go to very dark places. Like, I need something or someone there in some way. Not all the time, but, like, when when it's needed. Yep. So that's why I talk to people on the phone in the grocery store, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm alone right now. Yeah, and see, like you said, I feel like that really would be something that, even if you don't know, like, you can you can start that dialogue, even just internally, like, with yourself, figuring out yes. what you need. Yeah, because you figure it out for yourself before you can tell anybody else. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And developing that kind of understanding with yourself, I mean, it's an ever-changing thing. I'm sure when I was in high school, I would need different things than I do now to help yeah. me. Like, it'll grow and change with you as your love languages do and all that. But I think starting that discussion and kind of just developing an understanding of, like, First of all, that you're not alone in it, and that maybe what you're experiencing isn't just normal. Like, maybe the things you're experiencing could be improved upon. And then having, like, having that discussion without the emotional charge of it being, like, something you're doing wrong is really important. And I feel like addressing it from that angle, starting younger, would be so beneficial just because a lot of the time when you're struggling – and you don't have the words to put to it necessarily. You just think that you're doing something wrong and that you need to just fix it on your own. And that does not always work great. <laughs> like, and what you need is never wrong. There's never a wrong answer. Like your love language, what you need, what you're struggling, never. The pe- I know people that their love language is gay. Yes. I don't want to seem greedy or things like that. They feel bad, but that's just the way that it is for them. That's where they can understand and notice people's affection most clearly is through that. And so it's like, no, no answer is wrong. Literally being like, Hey, I need reassurance. Like, when I used to say that, I used to feel so needy and, like, awful. But I've come to a place where it's like, no, like, I know myself. Like, other things, like, say, like, I don't even know. Like, just other things I know that people have tried, they just don't work as well as that. Like, I will still appreciate it, but, like, I'm going to need me time. I'm going to need probably some words of reassurance, even if I am alone in my me time. 
you know, it's okay. Like, there's never a wrong answer to what you need unless you are harming yourself, harming others, or someone is harming you. Those are not things that we need. We're trying to keep people safe. Just a, just a disclaimer. We love you. <laughs> if anyone's doing things, I'm like, do what you need, but don't do those things. Because mm-hmm. they're not healthy, healthy. Reaching out always. Yeah. And I feel like, I know I briefly touched on it before, but just kind of bringing it back to the language surrounding mental Mm -hmm. health and how, um, I don't want to say trendy because I feel like that isn't necessarily the right word for it, but how um, kind of casually it gets used in day-to-day language and how, like, there's, again, Two sides of the coin. And on one hand, it normalizes the conversation to the extent where the language is out there so you can know it. But a lot of the times, on the other hand, it's attributed to the wrong things. And it can be really detrimental to the people who are actually experiencing. Like, mental health is not a trend. (laughs) Mental illness is not, like, a fun, cool thing you can put on. Like, it's not just being, like, a nervous, shy person and, like, oh, so cute and helpless. anxiety. It's like curled up on the bathroom floor, unable to move or breathe. And like by kind of taking those words and using them in the wrong context, it does in some ways take away the validity or the power of that word that it could have for the people who are actually struggling with it. Because the people who hear it, who don't struggle with it, will take what you're going through more lightly. And I feel like more and more that's become a prevalent issue in modern society because we have all the technology we do that spreads information quicker and trends come and go like 24 hours. But there's so many things about like anxiety, depression, OCD, bipolar, like those words people use so casually, like, oh my God, I'm so OCD. Like I have to like turn off the light once before I leave a room or like, it's like, no, bitch, shut up. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. If you actually have OCD, yes, that's totally valid. That's great. But it's like using it to be trendy or quirky has become such an issue. And I feel like a lot of the time, I mean, I'm sure I said shitty things in high school that I didn't understand or yeah. stuff because you're little and you're growing and you're kind of just coming into the world as a, like a pseudo adult. So I feel like a lot of the time high schoolers, it's not that it's not that they like mean to be harmful and mean to be detrimental to people. Yeah. It's just that they genuinely don't know. And I feel like a lack of awareness. Exactly. It's totally a lack of awareness of how that affects others. So bringing that into the forefront and bringing that into the discussion would probably help a lot of people understand the repercussions of what they're saying and doing. And that's part of why, too, I'm going to shout out Jess real quick, because she asked point blank in the best way that I've actually seen anyone ever ask about, like, correct terminology when you were talking about the yeah. that you were going through. And, like, that's an important thing to acknowledge. Like, yes, like, a depressive spurt or, like, phase, those are real and those happen and people suffer with those. But, like, being like, oh, I'm so depressed. Like, that's different. And, like, I know personally, just like Sarah, I've definitely used things out of context. Yeah. But, like, I also have noticed, like, 
you can also, a big word that I will allow and that I feel like is really actually good to use that I appreciate when people use is like tendencies. Yeah. Like your use of the word tendencies is so pivotal because it's so different than saying like, oh, I have OCD rather than like, oh, I have OCD like tendencies. Yeah. I am, my anxiety does create those things. Like having to wash my body in a certain order or like, oh my God, if I don't do this, something really bad is going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. I know nothing's going to happen, but like I have to do it in that way because it's what's going to make me feel good and safe and comfortable. Yeah. So like the use of proper terminology is huge. And again, goes back to destigmatizing. If people knew about this and it wasn't such a problem, then it wouldn't, I think things wouldn't be used in such like a, not inappropriate, but like misused manner. Like the words wouldn't be tossed around if there was information out there and it was accepted to like know how to properly talk about it. Like I asked my therapist, I was like, hey, I think so. Like we talked about it. I very clearly have anxiety disorder, genetic anxiety disorder. She very immediately was like, yeah, girl, you do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I go through, I was like, I don't know what to call them, but like I call them depressive spurts. And she's like, that's actually a great way to describe it. That's perfectly good terminology because you don't have depression as the disorder, but you go through spurts because when your anxiety goes too high for so long, you're going to have to crash at some point. And you crash. And then you go through the spurt and then you climb back up. And so knowing those types of things, I'm like, okay, I feel like I can more confidently talk about it without worrying about saying the wrong thing and it either giving the wrong impression or just kind of almost not belittling the people that have it, but like creating more of a misconception around the topic. Absolutely. And like you said, just being open to being corrected. That's something that is huge and Definitely is not very prevalent in our culture. Mm. It's such an ego-driven thing. And like, I mean, like you said, I mean, I have a generalized anxiety disorder. I have monopolar depression. Like, I, those are the diagnoses that were given to me. And even at the same time, it's like, I've misused, I didn't realize there's a difference between panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And like, I sit interchangeably. And hearing from people who experience it, just being like, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, in the future, I'll call it this. Like, yes, that kind of adjusting in the dialogue is so significant, especially if someone you know is reaching out to you and, like, asking for help or trying to explain what they're going through. Just being the person who can be like, okay, cool, good to know that. In the future, I'll do this. Or just being open to learning new things like that. Asking questions. I personally, I know it depends on the person. I personally don't mind people asking questions. Yeah. Like, ask them, like, are you, are you comfortable if, like, I ask you things? Because I know that the more that a person knows what I'm feeling or what I'm dealing with, they're going to know how to better handle it and know how to better receive it. So, like, I'm someone who I'm very open about it. Not everyone is, and that's totally fine. But being open to be, like, not scared to ask, like, hey, are you comfortable if I ask you questions? Mm-hmm. To know more. That And that goes also to, like, I feel like my sister has asked me at a certain time, like, what can I do to help you? And that made me realize I didn't even know what I could do. I didn't know what she could do. And I had to take dive yeah. myself and think of what can she do because she's here to help. But if I can't tell her what I need, then I'm shit out of luck. Okay. <laughs> but I'm putting myself there, so I have to come to terms with that. Everyone learns from themselves and others. Like, every interaction that you have is going to 
teach you something little about it. And yeah, those questions are pivotal. Like, exactly. I've had people ask me things, and I'm like, whoa, um, let me, let me think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, again, I think that it kind of summarizes exactly what this episode is for is that it does take time and you do need to think about it and beginning that dialogue at a younger age where you can just start that journey, just start developing a better understanding of what you're experiencing, what those feelings you're having are, how you can work with them, how you can grow with them, what you can do to change them. Like starting that and having that discussion and an open dialogue with either your parents, your friends, just a trusted advisor, anyone who you feel comfortable speaking with, starting that and getting the ball rolling at a young age can lead to just such a better future, mm-hmm. <laughs> such a better future than if you go through all those years of struggle and not knowing what you can do to help yourself or what you can do to help others around you. Yeah. Agreed. I summed it up perfectly. All of this right. maps to Sarah for this oh. very beautifully mm-hmm. led podcast episode today. Oh, thank you I'll, so much. Thank you so much. That was... Um, very anxiety-inducing at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking right before, I was like, oh, man, I really should have taken one of my, uh, what are they called, lorazepams. <laughs> so, like, I should have just taken one of those to calm me down before. But that was fun. And I really look forward to when we are able to bring on a guest speaker who's more specialized in exactly this yeah, and discussing our, uh, the importance of discussing it, in, discussing, discussing it in high school. listening guys thank you for coming in